We uh, are going to talk this morning about generosity. Now, before you run out, if you're not a member here or a visitor, you need to know God talks repeatedly through Scripture about generosity. And the reason He does is because He wants to wean us and free us from the idols that the world bows down to. God knows that material wealth can never satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And so when we talk about stewardship, we're not trying to beat people into submission. We're we're not even really just trying to make budget. We are trying to grow each other in discipleship. We have different marks of a growing disciple that we focus on. And one of those marks is that we would be growing in surprising generosity. The more we're growing in generosity, the more our hearts are being freed and weaned from the idols of this world. And the more our hearts are falling in love with Christ. So some of you maybe feel very uncomfortable when the church talks about money. I want to let you know that you don't need to feel uncomfortable here. We all recognize the pull that wealth and possessions have on us. And so we can all together run to the cross at the same time. And say, oh Jesus, here I am. I lay down my life. I lay down my fears that keep me from generosity. I lay down my pride that resists generosity. I lay down my life afresh. So, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11. We're continuing our series through this book of wisdom. And this morning... The theme is a time for wisdom, of course, in our generosity. Now, as we do take up cards today, we're unabashedly and unapologetically doing that because just like you all as a family put together your budget and you need to consider what is your income so you can consider what are your expenses. And so we do, in fact, need to know what people are planning on giving to Christ through Oak Mountain. But as we talk about that, and we talk about the 2022 ministry budget, I want us to recognize the opportunity that is before us because of the kind of year we've been through, and the kind of year that our neighbors over the fence have been through, and the kind of year uh, people in the city uh, over the mountain have had. We perhaps are entering a year of unprecedented opportunity. People have been living for almost two years in isolation. Some have been living in fear. And there is a new opportunity for us as the people of God to welcome people in, to remind people that there's hope, to remind people we don't need to live in fear. We have an opportunity in fresh ways to see people transformed by surprising community. I'm going to show a brief video that emphasizes this. And as you think about 
your generosity and what it goes towards, remember that this is what God wants us to be about. I think maybe I'd heard a couple audio clips of sermons or something, like I checked it out a little bit, but really I just looked up the service times online. I remember like getting emotional and crying. I don't know if it was because I think it hit me at that moment that I'd been out of church for a whole year. I mean, I didn't go anywhere unless it was outside. I didn't go to the grocery, I didn't go to the gym, even long after the churches reopened. I just was so fearful. I've been so isolated because of COVID that I have just needed community more than ever. I went through many years of my life in a church being hidden. They didn't know my life story. They didn't know when I was going through a struggling season. I loved the Gospel Waltz um, newcomer group. I think the first class I had like seven pages of notes. Like I felt like I was writing down everything Bob was saying. I remember like every week that I would leave there and drive home, I think the same thing of feeling like this is so refreshing. Just presenting this paradigm about just right from the get go, like how do we walk in this life with the Lord? And I've never experienced something like that. People at the church, um, different pastors at the church, different um, life group members, Bible study members that have reached out, it's just been so encouraging to know that I'm not alone. God just worked through that to help me realize that I just can't live in fear. And so when I began to come back to church and just feeling the songs, feeling the worship, hearing the word, just was so encouraging to my heart and soul. We've gotten very real with, with struggles going on in our lives, and it's just nice to be able to know that there are people that are rooting for you and praying for you. There's a reason God calls us to community. We're not meant to carry our, our lives and our burdens, our struggles alone. I was just overwhelmed with God's grace and mercy. For me to look around and know the really hard stories of so many members of our church and watch them week after week raising their hands in praise of our Lord, it was just so impactful. It, it literally can bring me to tears. I remember being impacted by the emphasis on grace. When I was saved myself, I've heard about the gospel and grace and everything ever since I can remember, but realizing my brokenness for the first time, how truly helpless I was on my own, and that I have nothing to offer to this perfect, righteous, holy God, but His grace that He would accept me anyway, exactly how I am. Um, it never gets old. I could hear it time and time again. The impact of community at Oakmont Presbyterian so significant and I know how important it is to be with other people just to have those deeper connections with people. I've only experienced like a drop in the bucket of all the different avenues where you can get involved and, and grow and serve. People give of their time, their talents and that's such a blessing to see. It's such a blessing to be a part of. So being back in community has given me the opportunity to be and honest about 
parts that I struggling with and life that I struggle with and be loved in response. That's been the best part about gospel community. When we talk about generosity, we're, we're not talking about giving out of duty. We're not talking about obligation. We're talking about recognizing that God wants to use the gifts he's given us to invite other people into gospel community, to invite people that don't even know Christ into the wonder of being adopted as his children. To invite people in who have been a part of a church their whole lives, but they've fallen into the trap of thinking that grace is for the non-Christian to be converted, and they've forgotten that it's for the Christian to experience joy and peace and power. And 2022 offers so many opportunities because people have been cooped up for so long. And while they've been cooped up, many of them have become aware of just how empty and isolated their lives are. So when we talk about generosity, we're talking about the kingdom of God growing as God uses us and our generosity to invite people into gospel community. As we look at Proverbs, <clears throat> one of the things that it constantly points us to is that a life of wisdom is a life of generosity. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. And I'm going to start in Proverbs 11, verse 23. Though we're going to skip to Proverbs 18, 22, and then Proverbs 30. Hear God's Word. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain. But a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Now go to Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Then go to Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Then go to Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it just because he loves us. And he wants us to be free from those idols that can never satisfy. Let's pray. Father, would you free us this morning from idolatry, from greed, from materialism, from worry? God, would you grant us trust? And God, may we embrace this message from your word on generosity not as the church trying to get my money, but of discipleship and growing in grace. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So we're going to look at four reminders from this passage that wisdom is a life of generosity. Reminder number one. Practice surprising generosity by remembering gospel paradox. You know what a paradox is. A paradox is a statement that seems to be self-contradictory. But it surprisingly ends up proclaiming a truth that Jesus gives us in the gospel. So look at verse 24 of chapter 11. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. That's a paradox. How could you give lavishly? How could you give excessively? How could you give extravagantly and grow all the richer? That makes no sense unless you understand paradox. The second part of the verse, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want lack. That's another paradox. You would think that if you have a pile here and you're supposed to give this and you don't, the pile doesn't go down. It at least stays the same. But the paradox is if someone withholds what he or she should give, the pile goes down. How? It's a paradox. It's a spiritual truth that seems self-contradictory, but it teaches a gospel truth. This, this word for give freely is a very interesting word. Um, it's, it's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9, where he says, Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then it says in the next verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the word in the Greek, cheerful, is hilarion. What's that sound like? Hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. He, he loves people who give so extravagantly, so excessively, that it looks ridiculous. It's hilarious. And God loves that. Why? Because that's a heart that isn't just giving. It's a heart that delights in God and the kingdom of God and the building of the kingdom of God 
and gives excessively. Now, it's interesting what the second line says, the paradox of withholding what he should give. What's he talking about there? What is it that we should give? How can God's word say that about anybody? That, that, you should, that there's something you should give. Well, you look at the Old Testament, it's very clear what God's people should give. It's a tithe. It's 10% of what God enables us to earn. In Deuteronomy, God warns Israel and says, once you get into the promised land and you prosper, don't think it was your ingenuity or your wisdom or your work ethic that got you this wealth. No, it wasn't. I am the one who enables wealth. And everything we give to God, David says in 1 Chronicles 29, is only a gift from his own hand. So what we should give is our tithe. Giving freely, excessively, is above the tithe. And if we withhold the tithe, the paradox is our pile will diminish. And the paradox of liberality is when we give beyond the tithe, somehow there is blessing. Now notice I didn't say the pile. God's word doesn't say that if you give ridiculously, your pile's going to grow. It simply says that we grow all the richer. And you can grow all the richer through spiritual blessing, through joy, through peace, through contentment. All kinds of spiritual blessings accrue to the person who has been freed by grace to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Generosity is counterintuitive. It is by giving we receive. See, Jesus taught paradox all the time. If you seek to save your life, what's he say? You're going to lose it. Paradox. If you lose your life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, what's going to happen? You're going to find it. Paradox. When you are weak, then you are strong. Paradox. When you give, then you receive. Paradox. There was a <clears throat> guy that was hiking. You've seen some of these stories on the, on the news where someone gets lost. Well, this guy got lost, and he was lost for almost three full days. You know how long the body can go without water before it shuts down? Three days. He was literally dying. There were no streams. It was the dry season. In his desperation, he happens upon this old hut. There's no roof. Two of the walls are down. You can tell that nobody has lived there. It's unlivable for who knows how long. As he stumbles onto the plot, he recognizes that there is an old water pump with the handle. And he runs up to it and starts pumping nothing but squeakies. 
he plops down dejected. And as he looks at the ground, he sees something he hadn't seen before, an old jug. And on the jug, there's a note. And it says, here's the water to prime the pump. But you must pour out all of it for it to work. He faced a decision. Does he listen to the instructions and pour the water every drop into the pump and hopefully receive all the water he needs to live as well as to provide water for the next traveler that comes along? Or does he drink the water in his hand? Does he just drink the water in the jug? Not wanting to take the risk that he he pours it all out. What if nothing happens? He makes the decision. He pours it all into the pump. And he starts pumping. And nothing happens. He continues to pump and nothing happens. Now he's getting desperate. Now he's thinking the whole thing was a waste. He had water to survive on and he got rid of all of it. He pumped more furiously, desperate now. And there came out a trickle. He kept pumping and the pump just flowed. The coolest, cleanest, clearest, freshest well water he'd ever seen. He put his head under it. He opened his mouth. He, he filled the jug and drank a whole jug full. He filled another jug full and drank it. His thirst was completely quenched and more. And then he noticed the bottom, the last part of the note. Be sure to fill up the jug before you leave for the next traveler. Not only did he do that, but he added another line. Hey, This really works. But you need to pour out everything for the water to flow. Every paycheck, we face a decision. Are we going to follow the ancient instructions? that we're called to generosity, trusting in the gospel paradox that when we give, we receive? Or are we going to withhold what we should give and suffer lack? Practice surprising generosity by remembering gospel paradox. Secondly, Practice surprising generosity by remembering gospel blessings. We talked last week that God is not opposed to using the carrot to help us to learn how to be generous. He doesn't use a stick. He doesn't whip us. But he is not opposed to using the carrot. He is not opposed to use benefits and blessings to encourage our generosity. Look at verse 25 of chapter 11. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The entire context of these verses is generosity. So we know in verse 25, when the author says whoever brings blessing will be enriched, we know he's talking about surprising generosity. Whoever practices generosity will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. 
God says this all through Scripture. Malachi 3, verse 10, bring the whole tithe, tenth, into the storehouse and see if I will not pour out for you blessings from heaven that you cannot contain. Now again, I'm not going to tell you that you can, cannot give God as far as material possessions. That's health, wealth, prosperity, theology, and we don't believe any of that. We do believe, however, that God will abundantly, spiritually bless the life. He can bless you materially if he chooses to. Some people he chooses to bless materially when they practice generosity. Some people just have to learn to live with less when they practice surprising generosity. But God does promise enrichment and being watered. In verse 28, it says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. We'll get that in a second. But the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. The context is generosity versus hoarding. The righteous person will flourish. The righteous person in the context is the person who practices surprising generosity. The person who practices surprising generosity will flourish like a green leaf. God has written into the spiritual universe a principle that when we give generously to God out of a heart of gratefulness and faith, we will flourish. Now that you can take to the bank. You may not flourish materially, but you will flourish. It's not a reward for performance. It's simply a principle of grace that God has written into the spiritual universe. Proverbs 18.10 says much the same thing. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The context, again, verse 11, the rich man trusts in his wealth. He thinks it's his strong city. He thinks it's high wall. It's his high wall. But the righteous, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The man runs to it as in safe. So again, God is saying when we practice surprising generosity, we do that out of trusting that our security is in God and not in our wealth. And when we run to God's name as our strong tower and practice generosity, we will experience security. We will experience rest. Jesus said the same thing. In Acts 20, 35, Paul had a vision of the risen Christ. And the risen Christ told Paul, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's a principle that God has written into the universe. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you heard of the name Chuck Feeney? I, I, I'd be highly surprised if anybody here heard the name Chuck Feeney. But I guarantee you, you know what Chuck Feeding has done when I tell you. When you're in an airport, international airport, you have a duty-free shop, Chuck Feeney. Chuck Feeney invented the duty-free shop in airports. He did this in 1960, and as a result, he is a multi-billionaire. Who knew? Why don't I get ideas like that? 
And yet Chuck Feeney was interviewed by Forbes magazine last year. And the title of the article is this. The billionaire who wanted to die broke is now officially broke. He didn't squander it. He gave it. Eight billion dollars Chuck Feeney gave away. It was his plan to enjoy the hilarity of generosity while he was alive. Listen to what he said. I see little reason to delay giving when so much good can be achieved. It's a lot more fun to give while you live than to give when you're dead. That's probably a pretty safe comment. Feeney told Forbes, I am so satisfied. I am so fulfilled. I feel so good about completing this journey of generosity on my watch. And he concludes with these words. If to those who are wondering about giving while you're living, try it. You'll like it. Don't listen to Chuck Feeney, although he gave away $8 billion and lived frugally on what was for him. Listen to Jesus, who says so clearly, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Practice surprising generosity by remembering gospel paradox, by remembering gospel blessings. Third, practice surprising generosity by remembering gospel warnings. Our Father does warn us, as all good fathers do. Gospel warnings are just as gracious as gospel promises. Gospel warnings are just as much about grace as gospel promises are. And the Father who loves us does warn us. Proverbs eleven twenty six. the people curse the one who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. The warning here is about being consumed with the bottom line. It's just amazing how we as Americans are so consumed and obsessed with the bottom line. The one who holds back grain How do I know he's concerned about the bottom line? It's Econ 101, folks. I can remember at Penn State going into my first Econ class. What do you learn? Supply and demand. High demand, low supply, high prices, bottom line. What do you think OPEC does when they want to make more money? They just trim the supply. Demand is what it is. Price of oil goes up. God is saying there is a curse upon those who could release supply into the system but don't because they're concerned about their own bottom line. There's a warning for us. How many of us are holding back the supply of God's provision because we're concerned about our bottom line? Verse 28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. We talked about the righteous will flourish like a green leaf, but the one who trusts in his riches will fall. You heard of Humpty Dumpty? 
Humpty Dumpty fell because he trusted in his riches. Well, at least that's what Proverbs would say. We will fall if we trust and put our hope and our security in riches. Proverbs 18, verse 11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. He means in his own mind. Proverbs reveals and warns us that if you're not careful, that if I'm not careful, we will buy into the illusion that our wealth makes us a fortified city. We will fall into the illusion that our wealth makes our lives have a high wall that is unscalable by our enemies. And God warns us and says nothing could be further from the truth. If you're trying to remain or build a secure life through wealth, money, possessions, and riches, God said it's an illusion. It's a warning from a God who loves us. He's warning us to make sure our hope and our security is in Jesus. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. He's warning us against irresponsible debt. You know, one barometer as to whether we've bought into the world's idolatry, thinking that money, possessions, and wealth is our sure city, our fortified city, and our high wall, one of the ways we can tell that we've bought into idolatry is our debt load. I'm not talking about a mortgage, responsible debt, business loans, things like that. But how many of us are up to our foreheads in debt because we're financing a lifestyle above our means? If we're living above our means, we clearly have an idolatry problem. We clearly are not looking to Jesus as our high wall and fortified city. We are clearly looking to things to make us satisfied. And as a result, we are slave to the lender. Remember King Midas? He always wanted more. In Greek mythology, he was the king that was given the golden touch. And everything he touched turned to gold. His wife turned to gold. His children turned to gold. His food turned to gold. Everything he touched turned to gold. He went back to the God who gave him the gift and said, please take it from me. And the God said, no. And so Midas died by starving to death because he couldn't eat. And he died isolated and lonely because everybody he was around, he touched and they turned to gold. God loves us, so he warns us. If we are concerned that everything we touch turns to gold, we will die of hunger because it cannot satisfy Practice surprising generosity by remembering gospel paradox, gospel blessings, gospel warnings. And then lastly, practice surprising generosity by remembering gospel simplicity. Some great verses in Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. The context is generosity. And so we're reminded how quickly we will turn to deceit to try to protect our wealth. 
or how often we'll turn to lying in business deals to try to earn more wealth. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. This is where Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us that which is needful. Give me manna, that if you took more than you needed for the day, it rotted and stank. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, how many of us in here, if we're honest, want to pray that prayer? Can I just tell you? I struggle to pray that. I don't want to live with the sufficiency of the day. I don't. Pray for me. I'm as broken as as sinful as you are. I want more than what is needful for me for the day. You ever heard of R.J. Letourneau? R.G. Letourneau, if you ever see those great big construction trucks and equipment, R.G. Letourneau invented those. He has over 300 patents related to heavy road construction equipment. He he transformed the design and building of streets. And as a result, he was, again, a multimillionaire or billionaire. But he was also a spirit-filled Christian. And in the heyday of his company, making hundreds of millions of dollars, his wife came to him and said, tithing for us is not generous living. God doesn't want our tithe. God wants us to live on a tithe. And R.G., I want us to get to the point where you and I are living on 10% of what we make and we give 90% away. And it was R.G. Letourneau that said, God hasn't blessed me to raise my standard of living. God has prospered me to raise our standard of giving. And he did. The rest of his days, he lived on 10% of his income and gave away 90%. I couldn't do that. Not right now. I have too many fears, too many anxieties, and probably not enough money anyway. And I'm not saying God's going to call you to do that. But God has called us to a lifestyle of simplicity. Have you ever learned yet that stuff complicates life? Look, there's nothing wrong, for instance, with a lake house. If you can afford it, God has prospered you. You use it for his glory. there's, There's nothing necessarily wrong with a lake house. But do you know how many of my friends 
I'll be talking to her, and they say, ah, I can't go to that. I, I got to go down to the lake house. It's winter time's come. We've got to pull the boat out. We've got to put all the skidoos and wave runners away. And ah, I got to go down. A pipe busted in the lake house. We weren't quite ready. I mean, stuff complicates. I'm not saying you can't have stuff. I'm just saying I hope you've gotten to the point in your life where you ne- recognize stuff complicates. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy, if we have food and clothing, let's consider being content with that. So, God gives you a jug of water. He gives it to you every week, bi-weekly, or he gives you a big jug of water at the end of the year when you make your sales goals. What are you going to do with that jug? You're just going to guzzle it all? Or are you going to prime the pump of the kingdom of God to see him use you and work in you in ways you couldn't imagine? I told you earlier about those intention cards. I hope you filled them out. If you have, when you leave, just drop them in an offering plate as the deacons hold them. Or, 12 minutes ago, uh, you had uh, a letter from Val that hit your inbox. And all you need to do is click the link in that email and it will take you to an intention card. Why do we do this? Because we need to put shoe leather on what we've just heard. We need to respond to the light that Proverbs gives us. And Proverbs says, it's a time for wisdom in our generosity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, even the warnings, thank you. But Lord, we love hearing about the blessings. But it's challenging to think that you put into the universe a principle related to generosity. God, free us from the grip of materialism. Free us from idolatry. God, free us from being content with a level of giving that that really we could go way beyond. So, Lord, work in all of our hearts. God, if we have irresponsible debt, may we repent, may we pay it off, and may we begin to give. May we begin to live beneath our standard of living so that we can increase our standard of giving. And, God, if there's anybody here today that that doesn't know you. Lord, how wild it would be that on a Sunday when we preached on generosity, their eyes would be open to your generosity in sending Christ, who though he was rich became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And Lord, today would be the day of their salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and hear the benediction, the promise of God's grace and favor upon our lives that we could be changed. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace now and always. Amen. Amen.